What is up, good people of Houston? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and so glad to be with you on Battle Red Thursday Night Eve. So, we got a lot to do on the show this evening, and to get it all in, and I mean, we've got tons. We've got Dave Zangaro, who used to be with CSN Houston, who now covers the Eagles up there in Philly. He's going to join DP Sidhu. We're going to have a little deep slant with Troy Harrison. We are going to have Mark stopping by for my keys to the game. We've got Drew's final word, which is going to be with Tremont Smith, and we got a Drew's dozen with Tremont Smith. We have so much going on. Oh, did I forget men behind the mics? Merrill Reese with Mark Vandermeer. That is going to be an absolute blast. I love hearing Merrill's voice, and to hear him discussing with Mark, that's going to be really, really fun. Now, we're going to start the show with a dilemma because every single last all-access show before a game, we start with Lovey Smith. But every single Wednesday, we start our show with GM Nick Casario. So this gets dicey. So I flipped a coin, and it came up beard instead of vest to start. So we're going to hear from Lovey Smith right off the bat, who talked with Mark Vandermeer. Coach, here you are playing the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's talk about their rushing attack. They have Miles Sanders. Jalen Hurts yeah. runs the ball, but it's not like he's Lamar Jackson. How do you expect to defend against him? What do you expect out of that attack? Well, you mentioned Miles Sanders. I mean, that's enough in itself. I think he would be a good running back in any system. But with all the weapons that they have, I mean, you look at their receivers. I mean, tight end. They have an, an elite skill guide, every one of those. It's just open things up. So you have to honor uh, you have to honor the pass, and that just opens up some holes inside. And then when just uh, in general, the rushing attack that they have, more the college principles of zone, you know, where you don't know. Most plays, you, know, you turn your hand it to the tailback, you know who has the ball. But mm -hmm. uh, the mess point, quarterback, which guy has the ball, quarterback, running back has it. It can open up some vertical holes pretty quickly. And if you have a running back like that, that can hit them and go to distance, it's tough. How does the short week affect the look team and what looks you're able to get at that kind of attack? I just don't think, you know, on this week, you a lot of the work has to be done before now, mm -hmm. all the way back to training camp. But just uh, the option, the only part that's different is some of the more, more of the option principles. And you're constantly practicing that throughout that leads you to this short week. How about facing their defense? How tough are they? What do you anticipate from them up front in particular? Well, I was going to say it starts up front. It just added another great player to the mix. But um, uh, inside, tough, you know, athletic guys throughout, if you want to say that. One of the best cornerbacks in football. A commitment to stop and run. That and just the way they play. You know, offensively, they don't turn the ball over. Least amount of take turnovers in the league. And the most takeaways on the other side of the football. All that makes it tough. Coach, we touched on this during your show, but playing in prime time, I know we make a big deal out of the short week, but do we make too big a deal out of it? Not the team, but the outsiders in that you're on national television, the nation's looking on, you're playing a football game against a really tough team. No, I don't think we make too much of it. I think the guys look at it like that. It's been that way since the beginning of time as I see it. There's normally, you know, there's a time when there's only one primetime game. At Thursday, there's only one primetime football game. Um, and guys want to perform. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, people may only get a chance to see us right now, mm -hmm. you know, like this, you know, this Thursday night. So 
you ha- you have to take advantage of that and uh, and play your best ball, and that's what I believe we'll do. Coach, thanks a lot. Good luck. Appreciate it. Excellent stuff there from Lovey and from Mark. Now, it's time to catch up with General Manager Nick Casario. Now, because it's a condensed week, and obviously there was a lot going on this week in a short amount of time to get ready for Thursday night, we interviewed Nick well early in the week, as in Monday of this week. Now, a lot of this obviously still applies, but you'll hear him refer to getting the players in today. He's talking about getting them back in Monday and kind of giving you the – the schedule for what they did this week. So here we go. Mark, me, Nick, now. Joining us now, Texans Radio, Texans General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, good to see you. I know it's a short week, a lot of work to do. We appreciate the visit. Thoughts on coming off of what happened Sunday and having to erase the memory, but learn from it in anticipation of Philadelphia Thursday. Yeah, it's really like every week. So whatever happens in the game on Sunday, kind of go back, figure out what happened. There's some good things or some bad things, try to get some things corrected, and then really got to move on to the next opponent um, and the team, whoever you're going to face that particular Sunday. In this case, it's Thursday. So we'll have the players in here today. We'll kind of wrap up from the game yesterday. Some things will have application. Other things that we're going to have to do will be specific to what the Eagles do. So kind of have to make that transition um, and just kind of turn the page and move forward. Does it make it more difficult that the trade deadline is a week in which you have a short week? Yeah, it's a good question. I'd say not necessarily. So I think if you're going to do anything, you're going to do it regardless. So I'd say the reality is if you do acquire a player, let's say you bring a player in, the chances of getting ready to play this particular week would probably be minimal. So it would just entail having to make a roster move. So otherwise, so it doesn't necessarily preclude you from doing anything. So um, if you do end up making some kind of transaction, you just really kind of plan it for probably future weeks. With what happened Sunday, does it make it difficult to evaluate individuals when team performance wasn't what you were looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think collectively as a team, we weren't good enough. So offensively, defensively, in the kicking game. So probably all three phases. There's, there's certainly things that you know everybody can do better. All of us can do better. Um, so I think it's just got to be real about what happened and just kind of look at yourself in the mirror and just try to figure out what can we do better, try to find some solution. You're not going to fix everything all at once. Um, say the run game is it's different. The run game, the Eagles run game is different than the Tennessee run game. So the running game will be a big part of it. They're a good running team. Tackling has been a little bit of an issue. So trying to work on tackling and offensively just trying to find uh, – limit the negative plays and trying to create more positive plays to get ourselves in more scoring situations. So those are things you do every week. So you're, you really want to just make it specific to what do we have to do against the Eagles this week relative to what they do schematically and just try to give ourselves the best chance to have some success. Nick, are you a mindset that after you have a rough afternoon, no matter what the sport is, to get back on the field, the bump, the the pitch, whatever it is, as soon as possible, You that mindset, like you'd rather do that as opposed to wait 10 days to have to play on a, a Sunday or a Thursday later on? Yeah, the reality is you have to have a short-term memory regardless because what happens in that previous game quite frankly, doesn't have any bearing on what's going to happen on Sunday because you're dealing with a new set of circumstances, new set of players, new personnel, new scheme. So really it's just understanding and educating yourself on the opponent and just going through your weekly process. That's the most important thing. So win, lose, or draw, you have to do the same thing every week. So regardless of what happens in the game, you have to turn the page, you have to have a short-term memory, and just have to move on to the next thing. 
Nick, we've had Thursday games for a long time now. How has the process of recovery, getting the body back, evolved over time? Because i got to imagine there have been a lot of different changes and things experimented with. Sure. The biggest difference is the Sunday after the game, you can do some things as a player to kind of expedite that process. So really what you do is you just start your process a little bit sooner. So instead of doing it Monday or Tuesday, there's some things that you can do right after the game to kind of start to prepare your body for the recovery. The reality is it's an enormous stress on the players um, and their bodies. It's very taxing. What went on in the game is very taxing. So the ability to recover. So you, hopefully you've done enough leading up to that point and you're training all the way through. And there'll be some things, some things specifically that you can do immediately after to help expedite your recovery so that when you go out there Thursday, you can feel as fresh as you possibly can. Nick, not a team that you face often, that we face often, the Philadelphia Eagles, but we all know 7-0, look great, dominated the Steelers. What do you see from the Eagles? Let's dive into the scouting report from them. Yeah, I mean, they're the best team in the league. They have the best record. Uh, a lot of good players. I'd say Howie's done a really good job of putting the team together. Um, Howie's been there a long time. He's been a, lot of, uh, been a part of a lot of really good football teams and seen a lot of good football players. Um, and I think Nick has come in and kind of added his stamp in a short period of time. So come in last year, his first year as a head coach to go to the playoffs, made some strides, and they've actually just built on some of the things that they did, you know, last season. So Nick's an offensive coach, has a really good staff. Um, I'd say Nick's involved pretty much in everything. Um, but Shane Steichen's the offensive coordinator who has a background, you know, with Nick um, in uh, with the Chargers. Um, and then J.G., um, is a really good defensive coordinator, um, experienced coach. He's been a lot of a part of a lot of good systems. Uh, coach Zimmer, Coach Staley, um, and in his second season as a defensive coordinator. Um, so they have a really good coaching staff. I think one of the coaches that has been there, regardless of who the head coach has been, is Jeff Stoutland. So Stoutland's one of the best offensive line coaches in the league, um, and he's a big part of what they're doing, whether it's a run game, whether it's in pass protection. So I'd say it kind of starts at the top. So good organizational structure, you know, from Mr. Lurie to, you know, Howie, and then the coaching staff's a really good coaching staff, a lot of experienced coaches, and they have a lot of really good players um, on really both sides of the ball, and then a lot of those players are involved in the kicking game as well. What do you make of the evolution of Jalen Hurts at the quarterback position? Because two years ago, you look at the completion percentage, low 50s, it gets better every year. Everything is getting better every year for him. So what about his progress, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I think even you go back and look at him from Alabama to Oklahoma, he's a player that's always improved from one year to the next. So when he was at Alabama, obviously got replaced by Tua, and then he went to Oklahoma, kind of shifted systems, playing in Lincoln's offense. Um, and then his, he's, this is his third year in the league, but really it's his second year playing. I'd say he's grown and improved probably as much as any player on their team, understands what they're trying to do offensively, makes really good decisions. He's very, a very smart, instinctive player. Um, and they have certain plays that are designed. There's a lot big RPO element, what they do offensively. He usually makes the right decision, a good decision. He's an accurate thrower. He's got good skill players around him. And he's at, I'd say he's hard to tackle. He's probably one of the better running quarterbacks in the league, not necessarily because he's the fastest, but he has really good lower body strength. And when you look at their third and one, fourth and one plays, I mean, they sneak the ball, the ball, ball more than any team in the league. And a lot of that is him just kind of creating a really good base and creating leverage and getting movement and he's hard to tackle, he kind of avoids making a big hit. So runs their offense very well. I'd say he's a very efficient football player, he's a very smart, instinctive football player, makes the right decisions, and they're operating their offense at a high level. Nick, when it comes to players, not just quarterbacks, but players, Jalen Hurts is a guy that always stands out to me because he's a guy that very easily could have transferred when Tua beat him out. But he stayed that entire year in 2017, and Tua gets hurt in the SEC championship game. 
And Jalen comes in, saves them. They get to a national championship game that year. Now, they ended up losing uh, to Clemson, I believe, that year. But he went through adversity as a player. It wasn't smooth sailing. He then had to transfer to Oklahoma to get an opportunity. And he's obviously gotten better. How much does that play into the football character uh, of a guy? And how much does that matter when you're looking at players that you want to acquire here? No, it's massive. Absolutely. I mean, this game is about physical and mental toughness. So everybody sees the physical toughness, but mental toughness kind of takes on many different shapes and sizes. So in, in Jalen's particular case, a lot of me mental toughness and to say a lot of selflessness in terms of his attitude and his approach in terms of being a good teammate and supporting a player that essentially took your job. But he didn't pout. He just stayed ready to go. He's very professional. He has a really good demeanor, doesn't really let too much bother him. And then when he had to go in and play in the SEC championship game, I mean, he was a big part of the reason that, that they won that game. So it's kind of the same thing. Fast forward, drafted in second round, didn't really play much as a rookie, was thrust into the lineup, and he's taken advantage of his opportunity. And he has a good, I would say, demeanor and presence about him. And really, it's permeated the entire team. And he's kind of talked about that and spoke on, spoke on it here you know, recently. But they're kind of a reflection of him, his personality to some degree. Each player has their own personality. But I'd say that mental and physical toughness that he possesses, when you look at their team, there's a lot of players that have those types of characteristics. Nick, as you follow college players and evaluate them for next year's draft, I'm going to focus on that for a moment here. When you guys are doing that, do you – follow the players week to week and the course of their season and how it all plays out in real time, because I would think that gives you a different element of information as opposed to just looking at it all after the season on tape. No, absolutely, Mark. So when you kind of look at our process, so I'd say the first initial visit is going to be probably sometime in training camp. So you see them in practice, you see them in that environment, and then you'll probably see them live at a game. And then you'll go back into the school, and then you'll get more follow-up information. So you're not necessarily tracking week to week, but there's multiple checkpoints. You could have, let's say, three or four different opportunities, exposures during the course of the year where you see a player, where you're getting information, where you talk to a coach before the game, you see something at practice, you see something happen during a game. Um, so I'd say that's the benefit. You really you don't want to wait until, okay, season's over. Now it's time to get ready for the draft. All right, let's start our process. We have a lot of information that comes in our system, so we can kind of track these players. And the area scouts, I'd say they're in the schools on a weekly basis, daily basis. They're basically at a different school each day, and you're looking at different players. So you're trying to create a profile of what we think we're going to have with that particular player. So it doesn't necessarily automatically mean they're going to be the best player, but here's his attributes, here's what he possesses, here's his characteristics. And then if you're able to see something live, you know, I've had the good fortune of being able to go to some games this year. And again, you're, you're not going specifically to a certain game to watch a specific player. You're kind of looking at everybody that you think is going to be draft eligible. What are the guys going to be drafted in the first round? What other guys going to be drafted or not drafted? You know, drafted later or after the draft. So, but you're making observations. You're just trying to accumulate information so that we're as well educated as possible. And really, that's the investment that you're making. You're investing in the person along with the player, but the person is a big part of it. And the Eagles invested in a big fella, Jordan Davis, but got banged up yesterday, and it looks like he's going to definitely miss this game. How much did they miss without having that? dude in the middle yeah I'd say the defensive line is probably the strength of their their defense um, it's really kind of a front seven so they usually have sort of five down they usually have somebody on each offensive lineman or the three interior guys and usually have somebody on the perimeter um, Jordan was playing about 25 30 percent massive presence in the middle of the defense so when he get, was able to get going vertically 
he just stressed, I would say, the interior of the offensive line. But, I mean, they have a good front. They play everybody. They play eight, nine guys at the game. I mean, Fletcher Cox has been as consistent and as productive a player for as long as he's been in the league. You know, BG, Brandon Graham's kind of in the same boat, and those are two players that have been there a long time. they kind of seen the ups and downs, but they're really good football players. Um, Sweat has kind of developed there on the edge, um, kind of had an injury coming out, but he's kind of evolved. They uh, signed Reddick in for agency, who's a really good pass rusher, um, had a real productive season you know last year in Carolina uh, they just traded for Quinn um, so they they present a lot of problems on the front there um, a couple good linebackers and then Slay and Bradbury have played you know probably as good as any corners in a league this year traded for Gardner Johnson there right around training camp or the end of the preseason so they've upgraded their talent so if Davis doesn't play you know it'll be a little bit of a loss there for him he's done a good job for him but they have plenty of other players that can kind of pick up the slack You talked with the defense about needing to tackle better and everything. Offensively, to move the ball better, obviously better than Sunday, but on a short week, what's important about rallying in a short amount of time to get things moving in the right direction on Thursday night? Yeah, sometimes you find going from Sunday to Thursday, you just have to simplify things a little bit. You know, it's not about necessarily a bunch of new plays or doing a bunch of new things. So there's probably going to be some degree of carryover, you know, what you call or some of the plays are going to have some application to what – you know, Philly does. It's say really where you're going to have to have some specific things will probably be third down in the red area. So um, the big thing from the Tennessee game, we just had too many negative plays on first and second down. So first and 10 went from second and 15 or second and two went to second and 12. So those negative plays just limited the negative plays because that has a trickle down effect on what happens on third down. So if we can just kind of stay out of the negative play situation and just kind of keep the ball moving forward, that'll put ourselves in a position where, I mean, the, the Eagles are, you know, they're top, I want to say 10 and a lot of the statistical categories on defense. Um, so, you know, to beat a good team, we're going to have to make sure we execute and just try to limit the negative plays and take care of the football will certainly be at a premium. I certainly remember a time on a Thursday night, week three of 2016, when a team had to put in almost a whole new offense to, to beat us 27 and nothing. Not that we need to bring that all up, but it's well, been done before. It wasn't a new offense. <laughs> there was a couple maybe scheme plays that went in all right, for that well, one. I didn't see Tom Brady running <laughs> running uh, quarterback run around the corner. I didn't see yeah. that in the playbook anywhere. Eagles with their running game, it's Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, But it's the way they go about it, Nick, Uh, the zone read and the thing that they're doing there, which can be very difficult to stop. Obviously, the Titans ran a little bit of zone read yesterday, and that's what Henry got his touchdown on. Uh, Even though it it was a give, it's that aspect. How difficult does that become to prepare? Because you don't see that every every week but you did see it a little bit against the Titans so did that help going into Thursday yeah smaller dose will be some carryover I mean the plays that hurt you one week you're inevitably probably going to see them at some point along Mm -hmm. the way Um, specific to the Eagles they're about 70 percent 11 personnel team so you don't have a fullback so one tight end and you're in the gun I want to say 85 90 percent of the time so wherever they displace the back whether he's to the left of of Jalen or to the right they don't really put him in the dot position that much so really just have to make sure that you have the the offense left leverage as much as possible you have to make sure you account for everybody um, but the RPO element is a huge part of their offense and they execute at a high level so we have to be disciplined we have to make sure we're positioned properly there's a certain gap of integrity that's going to have to take place and we're just gonna have to make sure that we're leveraged as much as possible um, and then this goes back to kind of what we we're talking about with Hertz he's a really good decision maker very smart intuitive player so inevitably he makes the right decision based on what he sees and it puts a lot of tax and stress on the defense. Nick, we appreciate you wearing battle red sort of today during this. Your thoughts on the red helmet. I mean, that kind of juices up the players probably a little bit. 
Yeah, I'm not a big fashion guy, so that's probably not my line of work. But anytime you kind of change, catch that ticket if you had that out there. Introduce something um, a little bit new, so it has a little bit of fervor and energy. So um, maybe it'll give us a chance to play better. But in the end, it's going to come down to execution, not what color jerseys and helmets we're wearing. So it's probably more for the fans more than anything else. We need a red vest. That's what we need. (laughs) Nick, thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck. Thanks, guys. I got a feeling after his response to that, we're probably not going to see a red vest on Thursday night. I'm not holding out hope, but uh, maybe just a vest. Just a vest is cool. I got my gear ready. I got my H-Town gear ready to go for Thursday night, so I'm pumped about that. Now, each and every Friday before a game, I do my keys to the game. But each and every Wednesday, I sit down with Mark and we kind of chat through a number of things going on with the team that's going on with the game coming up, what's going on in the NFL. So I thought, let's merge the two. Let's bring Mark in and do keys to the game. That's next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Texans Radio Studio. I am John. That is Mark. Mm-hmm. Now, each and every Friday, Mark, I do a segment called Keys to the Game. And I do it, get my music going. I talk about the keys. But this is, a little, this is a little different because it's Thursday night. And you and I usually do a segment on Wednesday kind of talking about the game that's going to happen on Sunday. So I right. thought, what a better marriage than keys to the game with you along. So I'm going to present my keys to the game. And I want you to chime in and give you me your it. thoughts on these particular keys. Let's go. So give me my music. There it is. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Little NFL music in the background always pumps you up a little bit. All right, let's talk about keys to the game against the Eagles. This Eagles offense, oh boy, <laughs> sixth in the NFL, 140, 150 yards per game on the ground, 246 through the air. That's tenth, third overall with a shade under 400 yards per game. They've only lost two turnovers. Mm. Holy smokes! Mm. All right, let's start here with a guy that I am, I already loved. Because of how he handled the situation in Alabama, how he handled the situation in Philly, and how that offense is growing around him as he grows. The first key of this game is Jalen Hurts, quite obviously. Channel View High School coming back home. Jalen Hurts has not only become, Mark, a guy that can run, but his throwing acumen, as he showed last week against Pittsburgh, is off the charts. I'm really worried about what he's going to do on Thursday. Yeah, well, I'm worried if I'm every Philadelphia opponent every week because what he's done is what you want to see everybody do when he's on your team is get better, right? 2020, look at the numbers. Just over 50% completion rate. Is he really the guy? I don't think so. Give him another year. A year ago, we talked about this last night on Texans All Access. A year ago, they wanted Deshaun Watson. Mm -hmm. They wanted to make a deal. There was reportedly an offer on the table. It didn't go through various reasons. Maybe Watson didn't want to go there. That was actually one of the reports. But the point is, they didn't even believe in him this much exactly a year ago. Well, a year later, he's a terrific quarterback. They're a terrific team. They've got chemistry. He's a leader. And I like what you said, Johnny, the way he handled himself in college. He's like one of those guys. Watson was kind of like this, too, let's be honest. When you played that many big games in college and have been through some situations like Hertz has, yep. well, you come into the league already with some, it's not professional experience, but let's be honest, it kind of is, yep. right? When you're playing in front of big crowds, big programs, big games, and a situation where he transferred to another big-time program and played for Lincoln Riley, my goodness, that's a lot of experience already, and they're building so nicely from him. I think the biggest upset here with the Eagles is 
Sirianni's introductory press conference versus the results he's getting. My goodness, because a lot of people just wrote him off based on that. You can't write off people based on a soundbite. The point is, Hertz is awesome. He's dangerous. He can run it. He can throw it. He can throw it really well. And they're scoring a lot of points. My gosh, you better find a way to slow down that running game. Hope that you can get something going on third down defensively and take it from there. So each and every week I come up with kind of a a little kitschy title for each of my keys. So the first one was, it hurts because he's true. Ah. That's about Jalen Hurts. The second one is just, again, question mark. Do you know who that refers to? Again, question mark. Quinn? No, offense. Staying with the Eagles offense. Oh, staying with the Eagles offense. Don't think too hard. Oh, another running back. Another running back, Miles who Sanders. Did we, who did we see for two times a year that killed oh, us? A.J. Brown. Because, yes, there yeah. it is. And, and look, we watched him develop, too, yes. as a rookie. Interesting, you know, catch and run guy. Uh, he can, yeah, he looks looks like he's got some pretty good hands. He can make some big plays. We'll see how he develops. Well, he's developed, he's ladies developed. and gentlemen. And that draft weekend deal looks phenomenal for the Eagles right now. I don't care what you give up when you're getting that kind of production out of a human being. As long as he stays healthy for them. Look, it's early, and I'm going to go back to this point a lot with them. They're 7-0. Good for them. You know, we talked about the Bengals being 8-0 in 2015. I get it. But the point is, they're off to a phenomenal start. They got to keep it going. They'll be the first to tell you. This doesn't matter. They got to play well in December, in January, obviously. But you couldn't ask for a better start from a team. No doubt. A.J. Brown was phenomenal. He had three touchdown catches against the Steelers last week. And seeing that as he's warming up for the Texans, I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, he's a Texans killer. Yes. Uh, we saw what he did against the Texans in the 2020, especially the finale. That yeah. long pass that got oh. them into field goal range where they hit the doink off the upright and doink off the crossbar and through for the game winner. That catch he had downfield just showed me that he's not Andre Johnson, but he kind of reminds me yep. of Andre Johnson. That's exactly right. He's sort of a, a sub-Andre Johnson. And I, look, I like his work, but not against the Texans. I really... Gosh, he's been tremendous against the Texans. The only time the Texans had success was in 2021 when Des King hit him in the ribs and knocked him out of the game mm-hmm. in 2021 up there in the rain, and we ended up winning that game. So how do you account for A.J. Brown? Oh, yeah, you might have to right. give some help. You might have to give some help to Sting if it's Sting, if it's Nelson. I don't care who it is. How do you, you give, give help, help when you got to load the I, box against Miles Sanders? Well, exactly. Well, that maybe leads. maybe Sting can do some things here. And, and that's that, that's the test. That's the test. Number three overall, going to get tested on Thursday. And that becomes super important because of what comes at number three. 304 reasons why the Texans have to, as I put here in my key, confront them violently. Last week against, it doesn't even feel like last week. It was just four days ago. The Texans gave up 300-plus rushing yards to Tennessee Titans. I felt like one thing that was lacking outside of tackling Mark was at the line of scrimmage, confronting that offensive front with violence. Football violence, mind you, but violence. Yeah. Getting off of blocks. I feel like the last couple of drives, I felt like they finally started showing some of that. Now, you had some young dudes on the interior, but you got vets at defensive end. They've got to take their game up and attack this offensive line violently because that offensive line with Kelsey Dickerson, Simalu, Lane Johnson, and Jordan Mailata, if you don't attack them violently, they will stop a mud hole in you. They will stomp you. And if you think Tennessee's offensive line did that, wait until you see these guys. So if you don't answer force with force, violence with violence, 
It's going to be a long freaking night for that defensive it's front. It's the wrong kind of game to play four days after you played the Tennessee Titans, and that was so physical. Look, win or lose, you knew this was going to be tough in terms of the regen aspect of it, recovery, getting ready to play a Thursday night game against another physical team, physical in a different way, but physical nonetheless. So better get ready. Johnny, in some ways, this is not about this is not about the X's and O's. This right. is about rising up whatever energy you have how much does it mean to you national television yes. i thought they'd be much more up for the tennessee game maybe they were up for it they were just outmanned they were just overwhelmed whatever maybe yeah. they were that much maybe they were up enough whatever the case is they gave up over three bills in rushing man gotta find a way to be strong physical point of attack like you said and that's easier said than done against this team yeah no doubt let's flip it over to the eagles defensive side now they give up 115 yards per game on the ground. That's right in the middle. That's close to the middle. It's 15th in the NFL. Yeah, they do give up some they yards up on the ground. Yards on the ground. However, it's a no-fly zone. 183.4 yards per game through the air. That's fourth. That makes them fourth in the league, just under 300 yards per game. Here's a massive, and I'll get to this key in a little bit. You know what their turnover margin is? Yeah, it's, it's the first in the league, plus it's, 14. Okay. So... I said this, and we'll get to this key in a By little bit. By a long way, too. My first thought was when Drew brought it up, I'm like, well, that's because Trevor Lawrence turned the ball over four times. If you take those four fumbles that Trevor Lawrence had. They're still first. They're still first. Oh, yeah. They're still first in the league. And I'll get to why that matters in a second, obviously. We know why takeaways matter. But you put the math behind it, you're like, whoa. The first one, first key for the Eagles defense. Rejuvenated. When Darius Slay was with the Lions at the end of his Lions run, it was kind of like, eh, and maybe it was that you had some Lions stench on him. I don't know. But Darius Slay wasn't thought to be one of the top corners in the league. James Bradbury was so lowly thought of by the new Giants management, they just let him go. Like, yeah. go ahead, just, we're done. Go, and he signs with the Eagles. Now the Eagles have arguably the best pair of corners in the league in Darius Slay and James Bradbury. How does that happen? You know, it's one of those Howie Roseman things where he goes out and he's like, "Can I? is there an inefficiency? We need a corner. We like what we've seen from Darius Slay, and we think getting here in Philly, surrounding him with some talent, is going to make him better. The Bradbury one is kind of the one that's a little, a little mystifying because he was just not good with the Giants. Also, when he gets to Philadelphia, and it just fits. And, and we saw that, Mark, in 2011. What happened? J.J. comes over. Now, J.J. was good with the Bengals, but J.J. Mm -hmm. comes over. Daniel Manning comes over, and those two guys were even better than they were in their two other stops. Now, they had pass rush helping them out, yeah, too. There you go. And also, and also, Bryce McCain add him to that mix because he played a whole lot better in a year where they drafted a couple of corners to try to replace him, but he rose his game up. Johnny, I think the hardest thing for a GM or any talent evaluator must be, who's the guy who's got those skills, who's not playing well, but is going to resurrect his career right. somehow and play much better? I don't know how you predict that. I don't know what metrics you have that lead you into that thought process of this is the guy who's going to up his game or re-up his game. It's so hard to tell, but they're doing it. Yeah, there's no question. Those guys have been doing it. Slam Bradbury. It's going to be an interesting matchup for this passing game against especially those two. Uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, I've always been a fan of. Now, he talks a lot, which I don't, I don't always love, but he's a really interesting guy at safety for that team and if they get some pass rush which leads me to key number two uh. and i same key as the other one it's again a question mark and it's the guy that you did mention robert quinn yep 
because the Texans will be facing Robert Quinn for the second time this year. They faced him in week three at Chicago. And Larry Tunsil did a really nice job of slowing him down. And this is one of the things about facing edge rushers this year, Mark, is the fact that if you've got a pretty good edge rusher, if you want to get him involved, you're going to have to do some things with some TE stunts, some ET stunts to get them moving on the inside. Because if you're going to go one-on-one -on -one against Titus and go against Laramie, you're going to have issues. Robert Quinn found that out in the game in Chicago. So what has Robert Quinn learned from that matchup in Chicago when Laramie did a really nice job against him? And what does he bring forward as he goes against Laramie Tunsil this time? That is going to be, I think, a major key for the Texans' offense and slowing Robert Quinn down. And how does Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator, scheme it up for Quinn to get him loose? Maybe he moves him to Titus' side. Maybe he moves him inside. So I'm curious to see how the Eagles end up deploying Quinn because he doesn't have to play every down. He can play just spot downs. He can just play on pass rush downs. And I think that makes him very, very dangerous, especially along what else they have on that defensive you know, front. You know what he's learned? You know what they've learned? You know what Gannon has learned? All right, it's one thing on the edge. What edge rusher has destroyed the Texans this year? Nobody, really. Nobody. Right? right. Nobody. But you know how they've been getting destroyed, and you know this. Right. Here it is, listeners. Let's go. Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, really? stop those dudes from getting up the middle because up the middle pressure has been killing the Texans when they've had issues yep. in the backfield pressure-wise like they did against the Tennessee Titans. Mills not able to step into throws, or sometimes maybe, I don't want to say he's reluctant to do it sometimes because there's a lot of traffic in there, but whatever the issue is, we all saw what happened when those two big, beefy guys yep. spent a lot of time in the Texans' backfield. You can't have that happen up the middle because on the edges, you're right. Laramie and Titus have been doing a pretty decent job against some of the bigger names in the league. Yeah, and it's just a matter of holding up inside, and when Quinn does loop inside or do some things coming inside, Texans interior has got to be able to handle that. Hopefully, AJ can will be ready to go to help against whatever they've got. But, man, Fletcher Cox. I love the story about Fletcher Cox. When Robert Quinn got to Philadelphia, Fletcher Cox walked over to his locker room and introduced himself and said, hey, man, just so you know, we practice hard here and walked away. That, <laughs> and Robert Quinn was like, okay, I got the That I got the, is a leader right yes, there. No doubt. And he's been – he's seen some things now. Fletcher Cox has been in Philadelphia for a while. So has Brandon Graham. So you got to account for him as well. The last key against the Eagles defense, I titled, we'll take that, which obviously refers to the takeaways that the Philadelphia Eagles have. So I, I, did, some, I did some math on this. It's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. They have a plus 14 turnover margin right, in seven games. So if you do the math on that, that means they've had two <laughs> per game. extra possessions per game over the opponent. Yeah. That, not like this offense needs good? it. Not like this offense needs it. Right, because they're still getting yards. This is not phantom scoring by the Eagles. Right. They get yards, yes. ground, air. They get some yards here, and they're good defensively. Like we said, they have allowed some rushing yards, but you don't score points against them, and in large part because they are turning you over, but they also play good red zone defense. Johnny, the thing about the turnover margin, you brought this up, if they don't get those four from Trevor Lawrence, they're still in first place by four total takeaways yep. ahead of the Dallas Cowboys. In fact, the Texans are tied for fifth in turnover yep. margin, but that's at plus three. That's 11 behind the first place Philadelphia Eagles 11. who are just setting the world on fire. This is incredible what they're doing. Ball security is always at a premium, making smart decisions. I'm going to kind of fly in the face of that a little bit. I don't want to turn the ball over to the Eagles, mm -hmm. but there's a part of me that just wants to Take wants risks. Davis Mills to let his freak flag fly a little bit. Yeah. Just let it go. Just mm -hmm. whatever. And I know 
all week is saying, look, they get takeaways, they get takeaways, take care of the football. Take, yes, take care of the football is, is right. But if you keep tiptoeing into the room, you ain't going anywhere. Right. You so you're going to have to go in and bust an 800-pound grill in the mouth. Bruce Arians. There you go. No risk it, no biscuit. No risk it, no biscuit. That's probably the best way to finish this. Mark, nice job chiming in on my keys to the game. I Thank love you, it. Thank you, Johnny. Maybe I'll bring you back for a guest appearance a little bit later <laughs> in not only the show, but for keys to the game later down the road. All right, coming up next, it's a little Drew's Dozen. This time it's with number one, Traymond Smith next right here on Texans All Access. Let's jump right back into this Wednesday edition of Texas All Access. I am John Harris, football analyst, southern reporter. Glad to be with you. That was fun to share. Keys to the game with Mark, and he handled it very well with all the music going because, you know, sometimes it can be distracting, I guess, but I love it. It gets me in the mood, uh, if you know what I mean. So let's uh, leave that behind and let's move ahead. We're going to hear from Traymond Smith with a little Drew's dozen in just a second, but we got to get to the status report for this game on Thursday. The Texans have five players out of this one. Graylin Arnold, Malik Collins, Nico Collins, Neville Hewitt dealing with hamstring, and Justin McCray suffered a concussion that game last week against the Tennessee Titans. So five players are out. Three are questionable, including Brandon Cooks. He was a DNP on Wednesday and Tuesday as well. Christian Harris, Desmond King were both full participants today. In a walkthrough, they were, they're both questionable. A.J. Can is back, which is great. Roy Lopez is shoulder. He was a full participant today. He is back as well. For the Eagles, the big fella, Jordan Davis, out. Josiah Scott, cornerback, out. Everybody else, it seems, is very, very healthy. Oy. So, go in there a little banged up. See what you're made of. See what happens with Brandon Cooks, wide receiver, questionable for this game. Now, a guy that's not in the injury report is Tremont Smith. He did a little Drew's dozen with Drew Doherty. Drew? So we're here, one of the greatest special teamers in franchise history, Tremont Smith. You ready for some Jenga? Yes, sir. I ain't played in a minute, but I'm ready. Marvel or DC? Uh, I'm not big in neither, but I definitely have to go Marvel. Okay. Go Marvel. You got a favorite one? No, I don't. Like I said, I'm not big into it, but if anything, it would be Marvel. Which teammate is the best hype man? Who gets you up? I go Tavier Thomas. Okay. Tavier Thomas. What's he do? How, how so? He just he, he just say stuff that you know that get under my skin that'll make me go play mad and just go make a play. So Can you give us an example? He'd be like, You look real weak on that last play, like go make a play. Or you missed that tackle, like stop missing the tackle, go make the tackle. You're supposed to have four or five tackles this game. So he'd just say something like, a little like that. Was he in your ear before you uh popped that ball loose last night? He was just he was just emphasizing I need to make a play and then he was like, Your mom's in the stand, go make a play. And he was like, after the play, he was like, Your mom needs to come to every game. You always make a play when your mom here, so Okay. That's good. That's one of the few times when you can invoke somebody's mom and make oh, yeah. them play better and yeah. you know, you're not not pissing somebody yeah. off. Where was your mom in from? Anderson, Alabama. Okay. Best concert you have been to, I say 2018, I went to the Drake and Future concert. What a time to be alive. Wow, where was that? It was in Dallas. It might have been early. It was 2016, actually. 2016. So you're still in college? still in college, yes, yeah. sir. That sounds like fun. Concert life. <laughs> Not bad. What's your favorite TikTok dance? I don't have, I, look, I don't even have TikTok on my phone, honestly. Me I either. I stay away from it. There's nothing wrong with that? Yes. Too social media for me. I'm thriving, you're thriving. Oh, yeah. We don't need TikTok. There you go. What would your walk-up song be? Right now, I will go Future March Madness. Oh, okay. That's my, yeah, anything future. Okay. So you say right now, was it something else recently? Uh, it changed up. It depends on how, you know, game day, how I wake up that morning. Yeah. I have a certain song or a certain list that I go through, so. Is that one of the ones you're listening oh, to yeah. right I, now? I'm going to listen to that every time, though. Future March Madness, I'm going to listen to that every time. All right. I'm going to have to look that up. Who is your celebrity lookalike? Future. 
Future? Yeah, I go okay. Future, yeah. Dreads, we always wear hats all the time. Okay. Who has the cleanest locker on the team? Can I, can I say myself? Of course. I'm, I'm a knee freak. I hang up all my stuff all the time, but behind me, JL try to keep his nice. Jonathan he Owens? Tries, he tries. Okay, that's a good. For, a for effort. A for effort. A for effort. Who's, who's got the messiest? TT or Graylin? Tavier. So Tavier or Graylin Arnold. Okay. Graylin. Yeah, Graylin bad. He just got too much clothes. Keeping it all in the, the, the DBs. TT sit right here. I'm in the middle, and then Graylin on the other side. So it's like. You're surrounded by mess. Tavier stuff always in my locker. He always takes my slides. It's bad. Oh, man. It's all bad. Yeah, at least y'all get along. Yeah, I know. Good thing. That'd be, uh, that'd be ugly if not. Oh, yeah, it's going down. Were you a Disney or Nickelodeon kid growing up? What came on Nickelodeon? Like SpongeBob, right? That sounds right. Yeah. yeah, I was Nickelodeon. Okay. Nickelodeon. SpongeBob. Yeah, SpongeBob. Big SpongeBob. You had a favorite SpongeBob character? SpongeBob. The man himself. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the man not like Squidward or anything. Nah, not Squidward. He's um, bad vibes. Bad vibes. <laughs> Perfect plate at a barbecue restaurant. Baked beans, macaroni and cheese. I like sausage a lot, so I get the sausage links. Okay. And you gotta have a piece of bread. Piece of bread. And spicy barbecue sauce. Any sort of dessert. I don't do this. I'm not a big Not a sweets guy. guy. Not a sweets guy at all, actually. Wow, interesting. Okay. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Control what you can control. It's good. There's a lot of things that's not, you know, you got to just deal with and you just, you got to keep going and push through and always come with a good energy, good vibes and good things that happen. Nice. Do you remember who, who, who gave you that advice or when that One happened? One of my college coaches and it just always stuck with me and I just, I always catch myself saying this still to this day. So yeah, that's great advice. Control, control what you can control. It's hard to like stay, stay with that. But I know. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. Favorite nickname? Oh yeah, what do you got? One way. One I way? Go by one way, yes sir. Because of your number one yes, or something else? I got it in college. So okay. It started off. I was number one in college. Okay. My friends used to call me Unslice. I was like, that's kind of hard to say. Tongue twister. And then looked at the street sign one day. It was one way. Looked at my I'm going with one way. I like one way a lot. And you go north and south. And I go north and south. So I've been one way ever since. That's a great. I like that. Actually, nickname. my Instagram name too. That's good stuff. So, uh, you got any nickname. other nicknames? Showtime. It used to be Showtime. I mean, you got cool nicknames. Yeah, Trey Showtime. I get like, my nickname is Grandpa. Grandpa. <laughs> Trey Showtime Smith was my Facebook name. RIP Facebook. I don't got any. He's winning the nickname battle. <laughs> Definitely. I'm going to try to win the Jenga battle, but I don't know. Oh, it's going down. Mmm. Yeah. Barely touched it. Well, you're making plays. Oh, yeah. You're winning Jenga. Great to see you. One way. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Me. Yes, sir. Appreciate that. Tremont Smith is straight winning. Man, Drew just keeps losing. Man, Drew's got to win some at some point. All right, we got one more hour to go. We're going to have a little Troy Hairston with DP Sidhu. We got a little Dave Zangaro who covers the Eagles with DP Sidhu. We also got the final word with Drew Doherty. And we're going to kick off this second hour with Merrill Reese, longtime legendary Philadelphia Eagles voice, play-by-play man for them. Our play-by-play legend Mark Vandermeer will sit down with Merrill Reese next. Men behind the mics on Texans All Access. Welcome back, everybody, to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. Second hour coming at you. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and one of the biggest fans of NFL films. And I've been watching NFL films for as long as, as I can remember. Uh, and when I was a wee lad, I remember, and this was in the late 70s, early 80s, I remember seeing highlights of the late 70s Eagles uh, and Dick Vermeil just loved his players very emotional and I remember the voice in the background sounded so cool and that was Merrill Reese he's been the voice of the Eagles for a long long time and does a tremendous job I love listening uh to the Eagles uh broadcast when I'm out and about on a bye week or like this week it'd be a mini bye typically I would listen on a Sunday love listening to Merrill Reese well you know how much I love Mark Vandermeer and those two chopped it up for this game 
on Thursday nights. Men behind the mics, Mark with Merrill now. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, it's voice of the Philadelphia Eagles, Merrill Reese. Merrill, wonderful to have you on. How's it going, my friend? It's uh, it's going the way you would think 7-0 and would, would seem to be going. It's been a remarkable season so far, Mark. Yeah, and you've been through a lot of them since 1977. So what do you make of this bunch? What's your overall assessment of what you've seen so far? I know we still have the majority of the regular season to go, but what a start, Merrill. It's been amazing. Uh, 7-0 equals the best start in the franchise history, and they are a good football team. I won't try to steer away from that. They are a good football team. They've done a great job answering needs. Uh, Howie Roseman, the general manager, went out and he, he plugged improvements into areas that really needed to be upgraded. That's what he did in the offseason, uh, both offensively and the, de- and the defense has certainly been a big difference. And while there was a lot of uncertainty among the fans and some of the media about the future of Jalen Hurts after his first couple of seasons, I think that that question has been settled. He is the man, and he is having an outstanding season. Yeah, let's talk about his development because you look at the numbers two years ago, then last year he ascends, he gets better, he improves. What do you attribute that to? And can you just discuss the general rise of his ability? Well, I think I attribute it to, number one, uh, the work ethic uh, about a young player who really wants to be the best, about a guy who wants to spend time every day winning the practice, winning the game, winning, wants to get better every single game. That's what Nick Sirianni, the coach, preaches. He talks about, let's win today. And Jalen Hurst has bought into that, although he's a coach's son. He's always been a winner at every level. All he needed was an opportunity. I think, Mark, we tend to judge quarterbacks too quickly. Uh, People after a couple of games said, well, he doesn't have the arm strength. He doesn't have arm talent. He doesn't make decisions fast enough. You look back at the, the really top quarterbacks. You look at Aaron Rodgers at the beginning of his career. He When he arrived in Green Bay, he was drafted in uh, 2005, and he really didn't play until 2008. He sat behind Brett Favre and learned. Mm-hmm. You look at Drew Brees. In a couple of years, Drew Brees will I'll be sure. I'm sure to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Drew Brees was just so-so when the Chargers drafted him in the second round out of Purdue. And it wasn't until four years later where they let him go. Uh, He almost signed with Miami, but uh, did not meet their uh, physical examination requirements. They still were worried about uh, the shoulder injury. And then he ends up in New Orleans and teams up with Sean Payton and started upon a Hall of Fame career. I think you have to be patient. You have, to, you have to once in a while, once in a while, you have someone like Justin Herbert who, who takes the uh, the NFL by storm, or you take somebody like uh, Joe Barrow who ends up in the Super Bowl in the second year of his career. But that is that really is the exception rather than the rule. But by and large, you have to be patient with young quarterbacks. Look what we're seeing right now in Seattle with Geno Smith. Uh, he was considered a bust at one point, uh, Had didn't show anything really with the New York Jets, and here he is with Seattle, and he's leading that team. So it does happen. Jalen Hurts has talent. He's got an outstanding arm. He's bright. He is a tireless worker. 
Merrill Reese joining us on Texans Radio. Let's talk about Nick Sirianni. You've been around all these coaches with the Eagles over the years, Merrill, and Dick Vermeil and Andy Reid, Doug Peterson. What does Sirianni bring into the table? A passion for football. Uh, again, you're talking about a coach's son who grew up as a as a gym rat, somebody who just loved playing football, went to a small college, uh, and then began his coaching career and took all the prerequisite steps, uh, became a good wide receiver coach with Indianapolis, and has finally got the chance. Uh, when the Eagles were tipped off about him, he obviously had people who were uh, spouting the praises of Nick Sirianni, and they liked what they saw. They liked what he heard, they heard. He came here, his very first press conference, you, you really walked away scratching your head because he seemed really so so young and, and so raw in terms of his means of communicating with the media. Mm-hmm. And watching him last year, they struggled at the beginning of the season. And uh, everybody was after him at that time, but the, the team really bought into his message. And he has great communication skills. He has a love for the game. He has the the right sense of authority. They like him and respect him. That's a very important combination. And he surrounded himself with very good assistant coaches, including Jonathan Gannon, who was the defensive coordinator, and Shane Steichen, who was the offensive coordinator. And they have just, again, uh, they have built this team piece by piece, and they started to progress around the middle of last season ended up making the playoffs, probably made the playoffs because the uh, playoff format admitted an extra team. But uh, they they had a 9-8 and eight season last year and then went down in the playoffs, lost badly to Tampa Bay, went back and added some very important pieces in this offseason. And the product of that is a good football team, a very good football team. I tell people the NFL is a war of attrition and uh, you have to be lucky in the injury department, which they – have been until uh, yesterday they lost an important piece, Jordan Davis, mm-hmm. for maybe four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain, the number one draft choice, and, and that will hurt them. Uh, but uh, for the most part, they have stayed healthy. Merrill Reese, voice of the Philadelphia Eagles, joining us on Texans Radio. Merrill, let's talk a little bit about the history of things here and the NFC East. You've seen the ebb and flow of this division. The Texans will play every team in the division, starting with the Eagles on Thursday night. And where's the NFC East at right now? Obviously, the Eagles have the best record. What do you think of the rest of the squads? Because it seems to be a very good season for this division. Well, it is. I I say that they went from the NFC least which they were a couple of seasons ago to the NFC beast. Now that may be overstating it, but the Eagles are very good. The Cowboys are very good. The Giants, despite their loss to uh, Seattle at Seattle are very good. And then the fourth team of course is the Washington commanders who were terrible. And here they are, they're on a winning streak and they've even the record at four and four. They have a very good coach, Ron Rivera. He stays patient with them. Uh, he's made the moves they have had to make. I think that uh, Carson Wentz had a lot of struggles going on, and uh, Taylor Heineke has really awakened that team. Merrill, you've been the voice of the Eagles since 1977, and now, if you don't mind me saying, you're 80 years old. So what is the key to being so good, so energetic, carrying on the way you do at a high level, doing what you do for the Eagles? And I know you're still – are you still co-owner of a radio station outside of town? 
I am. I'm managing partner. All right. It's, so a, it's an AM, FM uh, station that also does a lot of online uh, television work. So we have uh, we we do all kinds of high school games, all kinds of sports. I mean, I'm I run it. I don't really go on the air here except for one football show a week, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the age doesn't mean a thing to me. I still play a hundred rounds of golf a year, so uh, that that's pretty good. And 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 walk courses when I when I'm at that type of course. But I I love it. Uh, I still have the passion that I had. Uh, throughout my life for football, for all sports, but especially for football. And it's it's just fun. I look forward to every season. I look forward to every game. I have no plans to retire anytime. I always kid and say they'll have to remove me with a crane. But it's it's what I love to do more than anything else in the world. And I uh, I, I really feel great every Sunday when I go to a stadium or on a Thursday night, whatever it is, that I'm doing what I'd rather be doing than, than anything. How about where the league is at right now in terms of the popularity of the NFL? And of course you did that first Super Bowl with Ron Jaworski against the Raiders. And by the way, what was it? The 1980 season, the Astros and Phillies got together in the postseason, and now they're together in the world series, but versus the Phillies versus the rest of the Philadelphia sports landscape, the Eagles then, and the Eagles now, how has it changed? If at all? Well, I, I think it's, um, it, it has grown to the point where even though the Phillies are in the world series, and even though this is the, the city right now is talking about having gone through red October, meaning Phillies red and the, the, the Phillies are right now, the darlings of the sports fan. But I don't think that I'm exaggerating when I say that this is an Eagles city, first and foremost. This is the most popular sport and franchise uh, in this city. There's no doubt about that. Uh, They used to talk about uh, baseball being America's pastime, but I I think football honestly has passed that. And what about college basketball in Philly, Merrill? Because I know that, look, I used to do a lot of games there when I was working in the Atlantic 10 in the 90s. But I know even before that, you're talking about double headers at the Palestra and the history of it all in that city. Where is it at now versus then? Mark, it's not as great. Uh, it really, I, I was with you in those days. I did a lot of Big Five basketball games when I was a student and sports director of WRTI, the student station at Temple University. I used to do a doubleheader on Wednesday night, a pen game on Friday night, a doubleheader on Saturday night. I mean, it was huge. Um, it's really, to be honest with you, I'm sure uh, the other four schools wouldn't like me to say this, but it, it, it's the big five, but it really is the big one in Villanova mm-hmm. and the other four. Uh, Temple has some interesting prospects this year. Penn is really a, a good Ivy League program. LaSalle and St. Joe's have uh, watched their programs deteriorate to a point where they're really not on the level uh, with, the, I don't think they're with the level. Well, Temple, Temple's a bit above, but they're still, they're still they, they haven't been a tournament team for several years. Uh, Aaron McKee, the former Sixers, their head coach, Fran Gadumphy had been there for many years and before him, John Chaney, but they're, they're fighting to become relevant again uh, Villanova has been the team winning the two national championship games, but we'll see how they are right now because this will be their first year in a long time without Jay Wright, who retired from the coaching profession, mm-hmm. is going to be doing some television. 
and um, it's a new head coach. So, uh, again, they do have a strong program, and we'll see if he can sustain it. Merrill Reese, voice of the Philadelphia Eagles, joining us on Texans Radio. A couple of other things here. Andy Reid and Donovan McNabb, they had so much success for the Eagles but didn't win the big one, Merrill. How are they regarded in Philadelphia now? Because I know for a while there was some anger, ire, whatever, frustration maybe among the fan base. How do they regard Reid and McNabb now? Well, it's a it's a world where it's what did you do lately? Uh, Andy Reid and Donovan McNabb went to five NFC Championship games and the Super Bowl. So he is regarded uh, right now as a great coach. We see what he's done in Kansas City. There's no doubt. He's a Hall of Fame coach. He's the winningest coach in Eagles history. So Andy Reid is still regarded with great respect. Uh, Donovan, I think, for the most part, is respected and uh, really revered by the fans. If you look at the media guy that's sitting to my left, and check the record books, he holds almost every passing record in the history of this team. Donovan was an outstanding quarterback, and I think he one day will receive consideration for the Hall of Fame. But, uh, but they move on. Listen, there's a statue outside the stadium of Nick Foles about to run a play called the Philly Special that we all know about from uh, Super Bowl 52. So Nick uh, won the Super Bowl, but really... Uh, was not a starting quarterback here except in an emergency situation uh, back in 2017. But Nick has a lot of popularity here. And, of course, watching Jalen Hurts, he is the new star in town. Uh, They've surrounded him with great talent. This is probably as good an offensive line as there is in the National Football League. I mean, they are very, very good. Uh, The wide receiver core is the best I've been around, maybe the best in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles. And I made that statement one day and somebody said to me, wait a minute, you work with Mike Quick. He's your he's your analyst in the booth. And didn't he team up one year with Harold Carmichael, who last year went to the Hall of Fame? I said, yes, they did. But it was Mike's rookie year in which he only had 10 receptions. And it was pretty much at the end of Harold Carmichael's great career. So they were not together at their prime. But if you look at these two, primarily, if you look at Devontae Smith, the number one draft pick from last year, and A.J. Brown, with whom they uh, traded to get with Tennessee, uh, those two are absolutely dynamite. And you have uh, Quez Watkins in the slot. He's the speed receiver. But the other dangerous receiver is Dallas Goddard, the tight end. He's, he's close to being in that elite class. Yeah, I was going to ask you about A.J. Brown because we've seen him many times before as a Tennessee Titan doing damage against the Texans. Is there anybody you can compare him to that you've seen before? He's so physical. I thought he was a little bit like Andre Johnson in a way as he was starting to develop, but I don't know what thoughts you might have. Well, the thought that people here have uh, when when you listen to talk radio and you speak with some of the fans, they're comparing him to T.O., Terrell Owens who when he teamed with Donovan McNabb the first year was absolutely tremendous, big, strong, athletic. That's what A.J. Brown is. The only difference is that A.J. Brown is a very uh, mild-mannered, unassuming guy off the football field, and T.O. developed into a very divisive personality. 
Merrill, one more for you. What do you think of Thursday night games as the team has to hit the road on Wednesday? So it's a very short week. Got to be on the road. Kind of a long trip. What do you think of Thursday night in general and this situation in particular? Well, I think it's tough. I think it's tough to play football with three days rest, you know, counting the travel. It's a four-day bridge between the Sunday game and the Thursday night game. I think it's very, very tough. And there are a lot of Thursday night games over the years that they've done it that did not go well. And people thought it was a product of the players not being rested and play at their best. But uh, recently we have seen some good uh, Thursday night performances and uh, there's no reason why this shouldn't be a good game, an intriguing game. I know that Houston is down right now, one, five and one, but uh, they've got a bright young quarterback. And to tell you the truth, Mark, you just never know. I mean, Nick Sirianni doesn't say to this team, go out and be eight. No, let's see if you can, let's see if you can be uh, an undefeated team for eight weeks in a row. What he says to them is, Let's go one and oh, concentrate on one game. And I still believe that this is a game that we used to talk about in terms of on any given Sunday, on any given Sunday, uh, a team can, any team can beat any other team. And that's only expanded into in any given Sunday, Monday, Thursday, and late in the season, Saturday. Absolutely. Merrill, thanks so much for the time. We look forward to seeing you here in Houston. Thanks, Mark. The venerable Merrill Reese. Man, there's a time in Philadelphia. It was Merrill Reese with the Eagles, Harry Callis with the Phillies. You talk about legendary voices. That's Todd Callis' father, Todd Callis, who calls games for the Houston Astros on TV. Great, great pipes, great voice. Does a tremendous job. His dad, Harry Callis, is another legendary voice. But, man, for a long time it was Merrill Reese and Harry Callis in Philadelphia. Whew, what voices those were. All right, coming up next, it's Troy Harrison. Rookie from Central Michigan, former co-defensive player of the year in the MAC the last couple of years. He's now playing offense, and he sat down to do a little deep slant with DP City. That's next on Texans All Access. It's a Wednesday, Texans All Access coming at you. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's also a battle red, battle red Thursday night eve game tomorrow. It's going to be on Amazon, but you can see it on my 20. Obviously, you can get it live on Sports Radio 610. Mark, Andre, and myself calling the game. You'll have the pregame with Sean and Seth, and then afterwards you'll have Sean and Clint Stern on a postgame. So should be a it should be an interesting night all around, and looking forward to this gentleman playing, and that would be Troy Hairston. Troy Hairston fullback. Troy Hairston, co-Mac defensive player of the year. Wait a second. Edge rusher? Yeah, edge rusher turned fullback, and it's worked out splendidly for this offense when 34 is in the game. Well, D.P. Sidhu sat down for our Deep Slant interview of the week with the rookie from Central Michigan. D.P.? It's a Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. My guest this week, fullback Troy Hairston. And, Troy, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of the players get asked who has the best hair on the team Mm -hmm. in another segment that we do, and everyone has picked you so far. Really? I didn't know if you knew that, but I felt like that was something that you could appreciate. No, I definitely appreciate that. <laughs> I was the last person I thought would be picked. So, Is there a lot of time that goes into your hair care routine? Not a bunch. Not a bunch. It's, uh, it's usually pretty simple. It's in a ponytail or I let it down. I always let it down for games. So Yes, um, you do. Nothing too crazy, though. Just 
normal. So. We were Googling your pictures at Central Michigan because mm-hmm. there's a lot of, oh. as you know, a lot of Chippewas around here. Mm-hmm. Tyler Marcotte, our videographer, producer extraordinaire, he wanted to do this whole interview with you, and I would not let him uh, because this is my interview. But we were talking about you at Central Michigan. You mm-hmm. were, He said you were a Chippewa legend, which you were because you first team All-Mac as a defensive end and then co-Mac defensive player of the year. And now you come in, you're fullback, and you're mm-hmm. dominating at fullback. So... How have you been able to make that transition look so easy? Well, I wouldn't say legend. I, I just got out. Well, so I, I'm the just... The Chippewas call you their legend. Well, so I appreciate that, that. I'm flattered. But um, <laughs> it's just doing what I know how to do best, and that's just grind and work hard and, um, I guess, play for someone other than myself. You know, uh, I know the game of football is bigger than one person, so I just take that mindset to everything I do, and it just kind of worked out for me, so... Transitioning from offense to defense, I mean, was that a hard transition for you to make? Uh, defense to offense? Or sorry, defense yeah. to offense, yes. Yeah, it's definitely a hard transition. It's a different world. Even Everything down from the play calling is different. Eye responsibility, keys, all that stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's a totally new world, and it took a lot of studying and a lot of films, watching film to, to kind of get it down. I'm still learning. Still All right. Learning. Yeah, you've done a lot of blocking, a lot of tackling. So mm-hmm. which one's more fun? Which one do you enjoy more? Honestly... I I miss defense, but um, tackling's more fun. Tackling's fun. Yeah, tackling's fun because that's that's what I've done most of my life. Sure, so. but uh, it's also just as fun to block for Damian Pierce. So I'm glad you brought up Damian Pierce because uh, you've always just talked about him with so much joy, and he talks about you mm-hmm. the same way. You guys have a really nice friendship that I think you and I were talking about in the locker room one mm-hmm. day. You said it started off in rookie minicamp, mm-hmm. just the two of you the two of you learning this offense being the only rookies in that room yeah we so i had started here as a linebacker and damian was by himself in that room during training camp and everybody knows training camp is a grind so when i had finally transitioned he had came up to me and i haven't talked to dp at that time a lot and he came up to me he's like i'm so glad you're in this room <laughs> with me cuz now we can do this together and so ever since then we we hit it off we we work hard we we talk to each other we communicate well we got chemistry back there is is ever since then has been click right right away so and and you and he says that when you're blocking from you always he always you always check with him afterwards like mm-hmm. how was that how was that for you every play you and do I, yeah Still? and i i think he i think sometimes it, i feel like i can get annoying about it no. but <laughs> it's like for me like Whatever I got to do to to propel him to where he needs to be or do what he need to do and do what he do best and run that ball the way he do, I try to perfect it. So after every play that we run in the game, after every play we run in the practice, what would you see? How, how does this look? Do you want me to stem this way? Do you want me to give more of an inside look? How does it look? So I just try to get his perspective so I know what I'm doing next time I go out and block for him. So. We saw you catch a few passes as well. Mm-hmm. So what was that like for you to get involved in the offense in a little bit of a different way? Um, it's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm used to mostly uh, playing without the ball. So Pep always says, like, you got to learn how to play without the ball to, to be able to get a shot to get uh, to get the ball. So, yeah, just it's just something that I do to help my team. You know what I mean? I know a lot of defenses aren't expecting it. So yeah, I think uh-huh. Pep, Pep is the one that said we don't talk about you enough. I think you, he called you a ball of butcher knives, a rolling ball of butcher knives, or something like something that. Something like that. I something saw that. along those lines. And I thought that was really funny. But what does that mean to you to know that uh, the coaches are looking at what you're doing and mm-hmm. they see so much value, even if you don't have the ball in your hands and what you're able to do? I think it's important that uh, that I know that the coaches trust me and um, that they're they're counting on me. 
And that that's all I want. Like I want be able to, people to be able to trust me and count on me and know that when it when it comes down to it, I'm gonna make the the plays I need to make or make the blocks I need to make. So I love that your story at Central Michigan started off with you as an equipment manager. Yeah. How much has that really shaped who you are as a player? It seems like you're so unselfish off the field, but mm-hmm. you had a chance to sort of watch the game from from a distance and then get involved in it. I mean, how has that just sort of molded your your view on getting to play in the NFL now? I'm I'm a big believer in everything happened for a reason. I think that that gave me a, some type of appreciation for the game on the, on the, the level after high school. It showed me, like, I guess, like, you're not bigger than anyone because I started off as an equipment manager. Like, anybody, it doesn't matter who, you don't know where people can end up. So it just showed me, like, to stay humble and keep your head down and grind. And anybody can can do whatever they put their mind to as long as they work hard enough at it. So You were undrafted. You are a linebacker. Now you're a fullback. You're mm-hmm. a really important part of this offense. Uh, I read a story that you were living in a townhouse with your dad. Mm-hmm. Are you still living with your dad? How's yeah. that going? My pop's living with me. So. He's still, okay, so <laughs> yeah, you guys yeah. are still roomies mm-hmm. and that you had not very much furniture. You're kind of, you know, like sort of saving your money mm-hmm. or I don't know what you would call it. Is that being minimal? Is that being frugal? What is that? I, I guess I, it's a kind of a minimalist idea, but uh, at the time, you know, as undrafted, you don't get that big signing bonus. So, you know, for me, it was like more of like whatever I needed in the house, which was a mattress and a TV and Wi-Fi. So okay. whatever that was, that's what I got. And I just, that's all I needed. Cause most of the time I was going to be here. Anyway. You're not really at home much anyway, especially during the season. How exactly. does having your dad help you out? Oh, while it you're helps going through a this? lot. It was saving does he grace. watch film? Does he like coach you up or do will you go home? Do you guys have conversations? Do you do dinner? We, we do, like? we do talk, but sometimes I got to remind him it's a different level. So like, <laughs> he'll be like, what, what do you think about this? And I give him my insight or whatever. He'll watch some plays over and stuff like that. But most most of the time, honestly, when we talk about football, it's because he's playing me and DP at Madden. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, so. and that's surreal. <laughs> that's crazy to me. So to see yourself in Madden, literally with Damien, literally, yeah, like me in front of Damien, like that's crazy. All right, so what's the the new furniture that you've added? Have you added anything else yeah, besides I, the mattress? I got. A ping pong table in the living room. Okay. Um, where That'll make you better in the locker room, A too. little bit. I've played okay. a couple of times, so. Okay. I got a sectional for, for a decent price. Okay. Um, TV stand, another TV, just necessities. I got a bed frame now, so no longer Sweet. mattress on the floor. No mattress on the floor. Yeah. So my dad brought my PC, and I got a little desk and all You're that all stuff. set up. Yeah. All right, so now you're all set up in Houston. I know you haven't had a lot of free time, but mm-hmm. like for fans that are listening, what do you like to do when you're not playing football, when you're not at home? Honestly, I've, I've gotten a couple of chances to do it, but the museums around here. Yeah. Like, it's real nice. I, I missed out on the, um, I went to the Natural History Museum. Okay. I missed out on the Egyptian exhibit. Okay. So I have to go back and go see that. Okay. Because I've been told it's pretty good. It's pretty so, good? Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen it myself. Yeah. So. I know there was a NASA exhibit that was sort of traveling. It was at Rice for a little while. Wow. We got NASA, obviously. Well, you can check it out. Too, ah, so. so you're a museum guy. Uh-huh. What have you thought about Houston coming from Michigan to Houston? It's different. It's yeah. definitely different. Um, Houston's huge. Like, I, I, I have, like, really discovered very small portion of Houston. I'm, I'm only familiar with around NRG and around sure. the Rice Village area. But um, I'm hoping to branch out when we really get some time so see some more stuff. And uh, 
I know there's a lot out here to do. So. All right. I mean, if you need any suggestions, I would just go on Twitter uh-huh. and ask fans because people have lots of opinions. There's lots to do in Houston. Uh, and, yeah, uh, I can do polls now. So, you can yeah. do polls and you'll get a lot of feedback. Mm-hmm. Troy, it's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you. He sounds like a sweet guy, huh? I mean, just nice, very cordial. Love his voice. But on the field, that dude is a hammer. He is bringing the funk when he comes and hits people. Man, it is nice. Nice to watch. Also nice, a little double dip in our final segment. We always have Drew Doherty's final word on a Friday, the last segment of All Access before our game. But we also have to have our enemy sidelines piece, which we usually have Friday. we got to get that in because, well, we want to know what's going on for this game. So let's hear from Dave Zangaro, who covers the Eagles, and Trayvon Smith doing the final word of Drew Doherty. That's next on Texans All Access. We got one final segment of this edition of Texas All Access. We got a lot to do in it because we typically have Drew Doherty's final word. We also have to get in our behind enemy sidelines because we play Thursday. So behind enemy sidelines ain't going to do any good on Friday. We have to have it on Wednesday before a Thursday game. So we're going to kick off this segment with Dave Zangaro, who used to cover the Texans back when CS at Houston was a thing. Then he moved back home to Philly. He's been covering the Eagles. Does a great job at DP City. Went behind enemy sidelines with Dave Zangaro, our buddy talking Eagles. We're going behind enemy sidelines this week. I'm catching up with Dave Zangaro. He covers the Eagles for NBC Sports Philadelphia. Dave used to cover the Texans a long, long time ago. And uh, now we meet again, except for on opposing sidelines. Dave, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? It was a long time ago, right? I mean, 2012 to 14, I was there. Yeah, I think right when I, I started in 13, you were here for the first two years with CSN. Yeah, CSN Houston, right? Houston. The short-lived yeah. CSN Houston days, yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of talented people left when when that shut down. But I'm glad to see you still out there covering the Eagles, and we get to catch up every every few years. So let's talk about this Eagles team, the only undefeated team remaining in the NFL. When you were covering this team back in training camp, if I would have said to you at this point in the season that they were undefeated, w- would you have been surprised? Yeah, surprised that they hadn't found a loss yet, but not surprised that they were good because. We knew that this roster was very good. You looked at the the roster on paper and you thought, okay, this is a team that probably should win the division, should be able to get into the playoffs and maybe make a run. But they've been even better than I thought they'd be. And a big reason for that is Jalen Hurts. Houston's Jalen Hurts. He's been performing so well this year. He's really taken a big step in year two, really, for him. It's year two as a starter, so... Yeah, the step that he's taken, it helps, obviously, having A.J. Brown as a true number one receiver. But a big reason for their success this year has been the quarterback. You know, when you just look at his stats through this year, just even coming off of Sunday's game, career high four touchdown passes. But touchdown to interception ratio has been really good for him this year. What's impressed you the most about him here in year three? I mean, I feel like it wasn't that long ago that there were questions surrounding whether or not he was the guy but what's really stood out to you about him this year yeah it was the question before this year it was because you know he's in his third year in the nfl so you have the opportunity to sign into an extension after the season and it's pretty rare for quarterbacks to go into that lame duck year so you're thinking he's got to really prove himself and we're we're seven games in it's like there's no question anymore he's the guy as far as the touchdown interception thing uh what's impressed me most is that when you see a guy who doesn't have a lot of interceptions, you would assume that he's not taking chances and that uh, he's playing it really safe. And I don't think that's a good way to play football either. You want to avoid turnovers, but you don't want to lose that aggressiveness. The impressive thing about him is that he has been aggressive. 
they are throwing it down the field quite a bit and he's taking some chances, but he's also being smart and he's not taking unnecessary ones. He's not taking the chances that would turn into to turnovers. He hasn't fumbled either, which is a really big deal for a guy who runs as much as he does. So to me, it's more than just the passing touchdowns, interceptions. It's, you know, total touchdowns to takeaways or turnovers. He hasn't turned the football over. It, it's been just really efficient, but at times explosive quarterback play. All right. Obviously you mentioned AJ Brown. He's like the big addition to that offense, you know, and we saw what he did on Sunday, three touchdowns all before halftime, the chemistry between the two of them, how surprising has it been? And was there a point where you thought, okay, this is, this is looking really good. Or was it like that from day one? It's really cool. Actually, those two have been really, really close friends for a while. Um, They call each other best friends and they've, you know, they've always worked out together in the off season, but you never really know, you know, it, it, they were still in training camp trying to figure out how to build that together and all those timing things, but it it came together pretty quickly. I mean, in, in training camp, it was pretty evident that they figured this out and Jalen really trusts him. You can see that a couple of those passes on Sunday, AJ Brown wasn't open, but Jalen trusted him to go up and get the football. AJ Brown has one of those like convenience store hang signs in his locker, like right above his locker says always open. And Jalen Jalen believes that (laughs) he'll throw it up to him. And even beyond that, I mean, the AJ Brown slant has become a cheat code for, for this offense. It's pretty much always there. He has such a big body that if you put it on him and you give him an opportunity to get some yards after the catch, he's going to do it. And Miles Sanders, I guess you can't really neglect talking about him because the run game ranks seventh in rushing yards with him. How has he really emerged this season for that Eagles offense? He's been good. And look, he has, he's had kind of a weird career because a lot of injuries. He's missed nine games over the last two years. So the thing he really needed to prove this year was he can stay healthy. And he's done that through seven games. We'll see if that continues but he's picking up yards and big chunks he's improved as a runner since I saw him as a rookie a few years ago he's gotten more patient he's understood just to take the yards that are there he used to try to bounce everything and you can do that in college a little bit but some sometimes guys get rude awakenings when they get to the NFL and you're not able to just outrun everyone anymore these guys are really good at this level and he's learned that and that offensive line the Eagles have as good as Jalen Hurts has been, as good as A.J. Brown has been, Miles Sanders and Devontae Smith, that that offensive line is still the star of the show. It's probably the best in the league, and they don't do any of this without them. And, and they know that. I mean, they have uh, really from all five spots, they're getting really solid play. Jason Kelsey's 34, but uh, he's still arguably the best center in the league. They had the best right, right tackle in the NFL and Lane Johnson and everyone else. I mean, Landon Dickerson, Jordan Mailata, and Isaac Samalu have been very good too. So, I mean, that unit is playing really well right now. It's a huge key to their success. Got to mention the Eagles defense. They are plus 14 in turnover differential. I mean, that is an, an insane number, especially at this point in the season. They've got 16 takeaways on the year. What's made them so effective at taking the ball away? Yeah, takeaways can be tricky because they're, they're a little fickle. I don't know if you can count on that rate of production all year. Sometimes they come and go, but 
they're opportunistic and they have it's a good combination to have a pass rush that can affect the quarterback and then a secondary that has some ball hawks and they can take it away and that's what we've seen the, the front is good enough to get after quarterbacks and even when they're not getting sacks which they've done at a much higher rate this year they are affecting them and they're forcing them into some bad throws then on the back end you have guys like Darius Slay and James Bradbury and Avante Maddox and CJ Gardner Johnson all ready to, to pick off passes it's working the way it was designed to work right now and uh, that's been very encouraging last year their defense was they were trying to live by the philosophy to not get beat by big plays and they did that the problem was they weren't getting the takeaways and they really just led to these long back-breaking drives that left them on the field forever they got worn down against some really great quarterbacks last year they haven't faced great quarterbacks this year but this season the difference is they're finally getting stops they're finally getting turnovers and they've been a much improved unit Dave, I guess I have to mention that there was a World Series game going on at the exact same time as our game. So these two markets are both in a bit of a bind. Phillies fans, Astros fans, Eagles fans, Texans fans. Uh, what are people in Philly saying about the, the rain delay cancellation that has now got two big games and these two markets going up against each other head to head? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a shame to see that game get postponed. But it, what are you going to do? Rain happens. It, it'll be fun to have both games going on at the same time. I'm sure, you know, the updates will come through at NRG Stadium and we'll hear cheers one way or the other. It'll be confusing for the players, I'm sure. Like, who are they cheering you, for, you know, right? You're in a yeah. TV timeout and, and the crowd starts cheering because the Astros score a run or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I know there were some people who were a little bummed from Philly who were planning on going out for the football game and then staying potentially because the the baseball game would have been the next day but now that's not so it's screwing up some plans for people but it, it is kind of cool to have both cities worried about two sports right now it's weird for me too because i have so many friends back in houston and uh, it's been fun this week for sure yeah it's it's been a crazy week so i don't think anyone thought it was going to line up the way that it did but here we are dave appreciate the time he's dave zangaro he covers the eagles for nbc sports philadelphia dave always a pleasure catching up with you you too. Thanks. And of course, you know, we got to finish this show with Drew Doherty's final word. Drew sat down with Traymond Smith to talk about this matchup with Philadelphia. Thanks so much. It's time to break down the game to come. We're going to do so with defensive back and one of the best special teamers in Texans history. It's Tremont Smith. Tremont, good to be with you. Yes, Let's talk about, you're welcome. Let's talk about where this team is headed, the mind frame, all that stuff. Tough game on Sunday, but you got to flip around and get ready for a Thursday night. How, how nice is that, that you get to flush things like you do? It was good. You know, either, you know coming off that loss, division loss, one we should have won and had the ability to win. We just got to start off faster and just do the little things, you know, less penalties, convert on turnovers, convert in the red zone, just little stuff like that. So once we get that rolling, we'll be good. You know, it's the only way we can go is up since we just lost. So I'm excited about that. You know, you all often hear the phrase, things are never as bad as they seem and they're never really as good as they seem either. So with all that in mind, and it's kind of a perfect thing to think about right. who's coming to town and what you guys just did, right? It's pretty, pretty accurate. Right. Once we watched the film, it actually broke it down. Like you said, it didn't look as bad as we thought it was watching it come Sunday. But, you know, we got a good good opponent coming in. Of course, one of the, be the best team in the NFL right now, if you go by record. So we just got to read our keys, you know, do the little things, don't penalize ourselves and just 
wrap up, make tackles, eliminate the big plays. You're a perfect guy to talk to because you play defense, you play special mm-hmm. teams. Let's start with the defensive side of things. This offensive attack that they have, Jalen Hurts, he's a special quarterback. He does many different things very, very well. What do you see? What's the challenge that, that presents itself when you face a guy like Hurts? I think our disguises are going to be big for us, stopping the run, put him in long, manageable, I mean, long, non-manageable third downs, mm-hmm. make them try to air it out. They got good receivers in Quez Watkins, of course, Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, but as long as we minimize them to their big games and keep the deep ball off us, we'll be real good in uh, gap sound in the run game. How tricky is that to prepare for a team like that, for an offense like that, that has, you mentioned a few of the receivers, but right. the running backs are good, the tight ends are excellent, offensive line, fantastic. It's tough. That means we all just got to be on our keys and just do all the little things right, just from being in our gaps, from making open field tackles, because they're going to have open field plays eventually in the game throughout, because and we just got to make those tackles in place. Special teams-wise, you don't get to 7-0 and if you're not doing things well there. Right. What do you see from the Eagles special they got, teams? They got a great special teams coordinator, great special team scheme, you know. They got a great kicker in, in Elliott. I played with them for a little bit, actually. Did an offseason with them, so I'm pretty familiar with their system. But, you know, they, they're coached to play hard, be disciplined. So we just got to come out there, out-physical them, and out-discipline them. Seems like every time there's a special team snap this year, you're either knocking the ball loose or tackling the return or, or, or getting a return, or really, I say getting a return, they're kind of scared to kick to you almost after they saw the touchdown last year. What's this year been like on special teams? Because despite the record, special teams has been excellent for the Texans. Yeah, we're just trying to be. We're just trying to be the spark for our team. You know, we've been getting out to a lot of slow starts, whether we start on defense or offense. So, and you know, special teams always come first, no matter how you start the game. So, we pride ourselves in the taking the field, being the energy, being that energy spark for the team. And we, we take pride in that. All right. How much uh, of a spark do you think those battle red helmets are going to give you guys? Oh, my. I can't wait. And I'm taking my home right after the game. Taking your yeah, home after the game? You're going to keep it, huh? I already told Darwin. Yeah. <laughs> I love that battle red, though. It's a, it's going to be a great look. And I love the red end zones as well. Yeah, those look cool. He t- it says he told Darwin. That's, of course, the guy who's running the equipment, equipment room. Manager, and he's yeah. kind of the guy that runs it all, if you, oh, if you yeah. think about it. Well, Trimon, we really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. And best of luck against the Eagles. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. And thank you, Traymon. And thank you, Drew. And thank you, DP. And thank you, Dave Sangaro. Thank you, Troy Harrison. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Lavi. Thank you, Nick. And hopefully, we're saying thank you, Texans, after a huge win against the Eagles on Thursday night. Battle Red Helmets, it's going to be cool. Red end zones. The word Houston in the end zone has never been there before. A lot of firsts. And hopefully, it'll be the first win at home at NRG Stadium this year would be great to see. Appreciate everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.